0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled Updates on Clinical Trials in Oncology and Radiation is brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians and supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and an independent medical education grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corporation. Before starting this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives.
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our fourth of five webinars on updates in lung cancer management. It's really a privilege for me, Eric of the Mayo Clinic, in conjunction with my co-sponsor, Dr. Mrogu from the University of Chicago, to bring this seminar, this webinar to you with two internationally known medical and radiation oncologists. Dr. Flores is currently assistant professor at the Thoracic Oncology at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute as part of the Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Rimmer is associate attending director of thoracic oncology in the Department of Radiation Oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And now I would like to invite Dr. Flores, to begin the webinar with her presentation. Dr. Flores?
2: All right, so lung cancer has significantly changed um, from what it used to be even 10 years ago. Before it was squamous or no squamous, and then now we have become to the molecular pathology level and then a PD-1 expression. So lung cancer is no longer one disease, but many diseases. And that's what makes the treatment more complex. So everything changed in the adjuvant treatment when we had the ADORA trial. And this is different. These are patients that require tissue genomic testing at the time of diagnosis. So the ADORA trial was presented in 2020 and changed how we treat patients with EGFR mutations that have resectable disease. So the ADORA trial is a phase three trial that included patients that have limited stage disease 1B to 3A. And we have to remember all of this is based on the classification that is no longer up today. It's the 7th and now we're in the 8th. So these patients went to surgery, but they were most of them were recruited before surgery, meaning genomic testing happened at the time of diagnosis. Then they were randomized, they they gone, they went to surgery some of them go chemotherapy after the surgery, not all of them, and then they were randomized to Osimertinib, which is a EGFR therapy for three years versus placebo. The main uh, endpoint was disease-free survival. And the study was terminated early because of the great response that was observed. And this is the benefit. So for 1B, I often have conversations with my patients because some of these patients may have been cured and they don't need three years of cimertinib and all the CFS that comes with that. For 3A, definitely, because they have a 75% chance of having recurrence if they don't go in the EGFR therapy. For a stage two, they have a 40 to 50%. So that's right in the middle, but usually for two B, above, I recommend the therapy because the benefits are greater. Something that's very important about ADORA, this was presented at ESMO, after ASCO, is that it significantly decreased the recurrence in the CNS from one to 10%. So 10% is the placebo group. Majority of these patients go chemotherapy in the adjuvant setting. And the challenges with CNS disease is this very morbid particularly for patients that have no other comorbidities. It significantly affects patients' quality of life. So in 2020, as everything started changing after surgery for local lung cancer, these patients with EGFR mutation, which are 13% of patients with lung cancer, now are going in EGFR therapy for stage 1b or above, meaning tissue diagnosis and complications for osimertinib and a new population. Well, if things couldn't all get more confusing, we're back to where we started. So many neoadjuvant studies in lung cancer were negative, didn't show benefit. So we didn't do neoadjuvant therapy, but that changed with Checkmate A16, what incorporates chemotherapy and immunotherapy. So the new wild factor in this combination is immunotherapy. So checkmate A16 is neoadjuvant nivolumab plus a platinum-based regimen for a stage 1b to 3a. So these are patients that newly diagnose, the, um, the tumors 1b are higher than four centimeters and they have to have no sensitizing EGFR or ALT mutation. What is that important to me? Well, again, we're now doing NGS a diagnosis for early stage because these patients with EGFR mutation and ALK alteration should not go in neoadjuvant therapy because immunotherapy doesn't work for them. So we don't wanna delay therapy or delay surgery to get the neoadjuvant therapy when the drug doesn't work. So these patients were randomized to nivolumab plus chemo versus chemo alone then they went on surgery. Some patients have optimal chemotherapy after, most patients did not, plus minus radiation. And this is a new endpoint that we are learning from our breast cancer colleagues and it's complete pathologic response, or pathologic complete response. And the differences are clear. The people that received the chemoimmunotherapy had a complete pathologic complete response of 24%, versus 2.2%. Again, patients with ALK and EGFR mutations should not get this. So let's make things a little bit more complicated. Neoadjuvant therapy is approved. Targeted therapy, adjuvant therapy is approved. Now we added immunotherapy in the adjuvant setting. We IMPOWER-0,1,10. So IMPOWER-0,1,10 or IMPOWER-10 as a disolucimab, a immune checkpoint inhibitor for a year for a patient after they get resected. So this trial is completely resected patients, 1B to 3A. You can see the recurring team here, 1B to 3A, tumors higher than four centimeters because the classification changed. So they got surgery. These patients did not get neoadjuvant therapy. Then they get adjuvant chemo for one to four cycles and then they were randomized to follow up, because that's what we used to do, follow up and pray that the cancer doesn't come back, or antizoluzumab for a year, which is 16 cycles, because it's every three weeks. The primary endpoint was disease-free survival, same outcome that the ADORA trial for EGFR. Trial, this trial is a little bit more immature than the ones that we have seen. So for these patients, don't we only need EG, NGS, we also are needing pd one We didn't need pd one for early stage before because what you you gonna need the pd one for? Didn't really affect much, but now we need it because atezolizumab in the adjuvant setting meaning after surgery is only approved for patients with a pd one higher than one. If it's less than one, they cannot get the drug. Uh, so these patients are getting atezolizumab for a year so the three studies that we just discussed do not have overall survival data. So this is like approve, query up and wait for overall survival data. For neoadjuvant and adjuvant trials, it takes quite longer to get these results. Um, I won't make any conclusions of these overall survival data curves because the data is still very immature. So now we have three different regimens by three different trials, that change how we treat lung cancer in less than two years.
1: And I'm excited now to, to hear from Dr. Remner regarding the changes and the advances, advancements that he's seeing in radiation oncology.
3: It's been known for quite a while that radiation therapy is a great uh, tool to increase tumor immunogenicity um, in that it can increase the available tumor antigens to the antigen-presenting cells. And it can upregulate MHC1 and alter the tumor microenvironment to really um, attract dendritic cells and tumor-specific T-cells or also tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes. And the PACIFIC trial was really the key trial that put immunotherapy on the map for stage 3 lung cancer. And that was a trial on unresectable stage 3 non-small cell lung cancer who were treated with chemotherapy and radiation and were then enrolled after completion of chemoradiation and randomized to the addition of duralumab um, an anti pd one antibody versus placebo in a two-to-one randomization. And they had to start within 42, 42 days after concurrent chemoradiation. The primary endpoints were PFS and OS, co-primary endpoints. And um, we now have five-year overall survival data that were just published in the JCO. And these are the updated overall survival curves you see that the overall survival had a hazard ratio of 0.72 with the addition of durvalumab, and it increased the five-year overall survival from 33% to 43%, a 10% increase. And that's been the largest increase that we've seen in the management of stage three unresectable lung cancer um, in the last 20, 30 years. And this was accompanied by a, an improvement in uh, progression-free survival of uh, about f- uh, 14, 15% from 19 to 33%. At five years. So about a third of our patients now are free of disease progression at five years with stage three locally advanced non small cell lung cancer. Now, one of the questions was now we have an effective drug, but does it improve survival um, by improving distant metastatic uh, rates and uh, preventing distant metastases or by intrathoracic local recurrences? And the PACIFIC trial did not enroll patients prior to chemoradiation, so we don't have detailed chemotherapy and radiation data. And so we couldn't determine exactly local control in the sense of is the primary tumor or the lymph nodes that were initially involved what recurred. But what we do have is the intrathoracic versus the extrathoracic progression, and this is what present, was presented in 2019 at Astro. And you can see that durvalumab improved the intrathoracic progression, which includes, let's say, you know, metastatic lung nodules, but also, of course, lymph nodes and the primary tumor, as well as extrathoracic progression, um, meaning distant metastases. So it is effective on both, and that is likely what adds up to the progression-free survival and to the improvement in overall survival. And so we finally have a drug that can work on distant as well as intrathoracic um, disease control. Another aspect that was really interesting when diving deeper into the data was that about two-thirds of the patients that did progress after the Pacific protocol of chemoradiation and duralumab progressed only in one or two lesions. And um, that is particularly particularly relevant as local therapies, such as surgery or radiation therapy, now play an increasing role in the treatment of what we call oligoprogression, meaning paci- patients that when they progress, only progress in one or two metastases. And um, so uh, this is based on two, on now three phase two randomized trials that showed a six-month benefit just with the addition of local therapy um, in the oligometastatic setting. On the radiation oncology side, I would be... Uh, held accountable as a radiation oncologist, I wouldn't be talking about what we are improving on the radiation side. There are novel technologies that allow us to target the tumor even more precisely, avoid the lungs even more um, than we can do right now. There are uh, increasing MR linear accelerators that really allow soft tissue imaging to a degree that we haven't been able to do. In the thorax, it's a little bit challenging because of all the tissue density differences, but we are making progress, and especially for the mediastinum and the heart, um, the esophagus, it can be very beneficial to be able to see those um, even during the treatment and adapt the radiation as the tumor shrinks. Um, it also has functional imaging capabilities, which might be very interesting in the future to um, detect early responses. And then there's proton therapy, which is a specific specific radiation technique that allows the radiation beam to stop and maximally uh, spare organs that are distal to that stopping point. And there's an ongoing randomized trial, RTOG 1308, which compares protons versus photons. So that can be very beneficial in some patients when the anatomy and the geometry is right.
1: Well, this discussion could go on for quite a bit of time. This is, uh, as as usual, the time flew by. I I again want to thank CHEST for allowing us to put this uh, webinar together, our sponsors for providing the resources, uh, my, co- my co-chair, Dr. Murbu, and our esteemed uh, panelists, Dr. Flores and Dr. Remner, thank you very much for your expertise and your, your time.
0: This activity was part of a seven-part series brought to you by the American College of Chest Physicians and supported by an independent educational grant from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals, an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and an independent medical education grant from Merck Sharp & Dope Corporation. To receive your free CME credit or to view other activities in this series, go to reachmd.com slash CME. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.